Hello, everybody. Welcome to ClapperCast, episode 125. Feels good to be back after a two-week break of recording, even though it's only been one week with releases. I'm your host, as always, Carson Tamar, joined by Alina Falds, Paul Price. How's everyone doing today? What is What did we all see this week? Um, so I've had a pretty weird week, actually, um, because I read the Hellraiser book, and then I um, you can read. Well, it's in the <laughs> audiobook, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Leah Michelle just listen to the audiobooks. I also made a <laughs> Leah Michelle joke later in the show. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's good. Um, yeah, no. So I uh, listened to the Hell Raise. It's called the Hellbound Heart, um, and it's only like three hours long. But anyway, I listened to that to like prep myself because I went and saw a double feature today of Hellraiser and Hellraiser 2 Um, and with friend of the podcast, Chris. And it was interesting because like I didn't like Hellraiser 2 when I watched it by myself like a week after I'd watched um, Hellraiser. But back to back, I was like, this fucks because it feels almost like a long epilogue to the first movie. So that was really fun. I feel very prepped for the... um, remake and i also don't think people know it's a remake i've talked to multiple people who are like wait i thought it was just another one and i'm like no no it's a full-on remake um but it's with the the guys who did night house uh both the director and the writers so i like i'm excited and also i'll always have you know this version if i don't like the other one so you know i'm not too worried um but yeah that was that was what i did and i'm we're recording kind of late today because I uh, had to go sit through, uh, what was that, like seven hours of movie. <laughs> Jeez. I'm very tired. I just got back from TIFF. And then in three days, the Ottawa International Animation Festival, where I work, starts. So I will be dead by next week's recording, I think. I don't know if I'll be here. I'll try to be here physically, but I don't know if I'll be here mentally. Um, so, yeah, I'll talk about TIFF later in the show, but I've also seen some other things. I went to see Moonage Daydream last night in IMAX with my little sister, the new David Bowie documentary. I didn't bother seeing it at TIFF because it's coming out this weekend anyway, so that would be silly and a waste of my time. Uh, it's cool. I don't like David Bowie enough to like enjoy something like this fully because it's very much a documentary that's made in the editing room. It's kind of just clips of David Bowie set against his songs and like vibes. There's nothing, there's not like, it's a bit linear, but also like not. And there's not very much talking. There's like clips from David Bowie interviews, but there's nobody like talking about David Bowie. Um, it was cool. Like if they do something like this with like Bob Dylan or like the doors, I'm fucking sad. And I really like like how much they like Brett, whatever, Brett Morgan is his name, I think. I really like the like jump he took with this. But yeah, I just don't like David Bowie enough to enjoy something like that. I'm sorry. It's <laughs> I got insane bored how, a little bit. <laughs> it's insane how many new releases came out this week. Because like yeah. not even factoring that in, I also saw um, like multiple other new releases we're not talking about in the pod. Drifting Home is a very average anime film from Netflix. Goodnight Mommy's on Amazon Prime, a very bad remake of an already flawed horror movie. Oh, I watched that too. Oh, you saw Goodnight Mommy? Yeah. Okay, so I didn't oh. log it because... Um, listen, I did watch the beginning and I watched the end. Um, okay. But uh, I hate children. 
and <laughs> a lot of children. A lot and... of bad uh, child actors, I'll say. Yeah, which really is so weird because those kids, those kids are great in um, Big Little Lies. But um, yeah, the, it was it was not great child acting. Also, um, I just so like what's interesting about Good Night, Mommy, with me is uh, it's Naomi Watts who will will watch one of her um, her big movies um, coming up later this time, The Ring. Um, but I always have loved Naomi Watts purely because of The Ring, and like, <laughs> what is this like? 21 years later i'm still like oh it's got naomi watts i've got to watch it and i'm like why why do i have such loyalty to this woman um but it's it's because of the ring it was the first horror movie i ever watched um we'll get into all that but yeah completely misused in this movie like she's great but like it's just it's so disappointing she needs a new agent um although oh I my guess, god she needs a new agent did you Between watch the this... tiff 2021 selection 2020 selection actually penguin bloom starring naomi watts <laughs> he has a pet <laughs> magpie penguin oh, bloom was bad the desperate yeah. hour was terrible with her from tiff last year every year around tiff she just has a new bad release and it's just like it's funny how they put desperate hour and penguin bloom but not this one in tiff this year they were like we had enough of naomi. they learned <laughs> oh, I this morning my friends and I went to our local indie cinema, the Bi Town. We love that place. Uh, for high tea cinema, I got to see Sofia Coppola's Mary Antoinette. It was sick. I, it's my first time seeing it. Um, I was cool. I really liked the costumes. I didn't mind the in- historical inaccuracies because of how like stylized it was. I was like, I respect this. The freaking I want candy scene that was cinema. Kristen Dunst was great. I still haven't seen it. And I got scones. I, I got either. free scones. They gave us scones and tea. Nice. It was so cute. Um, so one of the, whenever people say scones, I flash back to um, my first internship. And um, I went up and I was like, hi, can I have a scone? And I don't know why I said scone still to this day. <laughs> and I swear I was at this internship for 10 weeks. And every single time I went to go co- coffee in the morning, he's like, do you want coffee and a scone? And I'm like, <laughs> sir, <laughs> Monday so through funny. Friday, going in to be abused. I was like, maybe I should find a different coffee shop. But no, it was a good <laughs> coffee shop. Um, yeah. And yes, I got funny. so many more scones. <laughs> I really liked the- I really liked Mary Antoinette. It's I think it's my favorite like Sofia Coppola film. I, I don't know what it is about her, but like none of her films have like super, super hit me. Like before this, I really liked The Virgin Suicides, but even then I didn't like love it. But I think I loved Mary Antoinette. I'm terrified for her Elvis project, but I will say we do I'm love scared. the Bye Town because they quote your boy. So that's good. Yeah. Um, I also saw The Woman King, which I know we're not talking about. I don't really want to get into like I didn't have time. Yeah, I don't want to get into the moral debates because like it's just been debated all week. But like, (laughs) I think it's a very good action film, a little long, a little slow, but like really well made. I would say Viola Davis is incredible. But um, yeah, it's insane how we've had like a month of nothing really new coming out and then just like 30 releases. And even then we're not mentioning like five. So like, yeah, I was about to say um, I was talking to Chris and we always go do a Monday night movie. and he was like, do you want to see See How They Run or do you want to see Confess Fletch? And I was like, why are there so many movies? So many movies. It's like four to five movies that came out in theaters this weekend. There's also, yeah, what, The, the Silent, Silent Twins? Twins? I want to see that. Oh, yeah. And I, it's I only playing love across that story. Town. Yeah, it's only playing across town. Like, I live in the west end of the city and it's only playing in the east end. And I got a car, so I'm like, I'll just wait. 
<laughs> but I really want to see it. Yeah, same. Well, before we tackle the new releases that we are going to talk about this week, let's look to the past with our Road to Halloween series. Paul, it continues with Found Footage Week. Why don't you introduce what we're talking about this week? Yeah, so we watched um, Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon, and Hell House LLC. Um, Let's start with Hell House because I feel like that's more the traditional... um, you know, uh, found footagey kind of horror film. Um, this one's really interesting to me because I feel like the fact that it has that LLC, you think it's going to be a mockumentary and it is very much not a mockumentary at all. Like in terms of like style, there's like no comedy. Um, so I remember like I put this on during Hooptober either last year or the year before. Um, and I was like, Oh, okay. I'll just put on this little scary movie. Um, and, I watched it like midnight or something. And I remember being like, I have to pause it and go get water. I can't do this right now. Um, So basically the, uh, the plot of the film is that this group of friends decides to um, take this old hotel called the Abaddon and turn it into a like walk through kind of like haunted house. And you're introduced to shit went down on opening night, October 8th. And what happened? And so you follow the story of them and then also concurrently the modern day of um, the investigative reporter trying to figure out like everything. And they have all this new footage that they're going through. Um, The plot is okay, but some of the scares, some of the jump scares in this like sent me wild. Um, So I'm curious what you guys thought. So I cannot express enough. I need to be very clear how much I hate haunted houses since I was a child. And my sister, (laughs) my big sister forced me to go through the one at Universal Studios. Truly traumatic. I don't do haunted houses. I want to say I do them. I literally tried, you know, like how the neighborhood for Halloween will put on like a shitty little haunted house with like the second graders. Like, literally had a panic attack and almost punched a child, like swung for a child's head in one. Do not do well in those. So this movie had me fucked up when it comes to like jump scares, the aesthetics, like truly <laughs> anxiety, panic attack, crying, fetal position on the floor, even though it was midday. And then you get to the ending and the reveals and like the core, like father of the found footage genre is the Blair Witch Project, which has a very simple thesis. You don't show the witch because naturally whatever the payoff is going to be is probably not going to be as cool as whatever you anticipate it's going to be in your own mind. This film, you're like, oh, God, this is fucked up. Whatever happened, like you have all these ideas running through your head and then it shows the witch. And it's not an actual witch, but what its version of the witch is. And it's like very boring. I hated the actual like logic of what was happening. And I was like, really? I was so here, so scared. And then you just like fundamentally fuck up at the end. I don't get that. I think it's so simple to just not show it. Um, But other than that, love the film. But with that ending, it's like, yeah, it's good if I needed to like really have an anxiety induced found footage moment i would watch this again with friends um but it just dropped the ball there i'm sad yeah yeah I and was, I, go ahead I, I was very bored during the first act and then i was really scared during the second act i was watching the second act 
and all those clowns were doing shit. And I was like, hell no. <laughs> and I was like sitting uh, in my apartment watching it. Uh, and it's like totally quiet because it's like a Sunday and everyone is doing Sunday activities. And my phone ringer goes off because somebody's calling me and I like threw it up in the air. <laughs> I got so scared because it was all so quiet. And like, since my phone is connected to my MacBook, the like film paused and like my screen did stuff because it was pulling up the FaceTime call. It was so scary. That was honestly scarier than like the entire like stuff that happened in the movie. Um, and yeah, and then the ending was boring again. And I was like, okay. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. So there's uh, two other films in this trilogy. I will not um, be watching them. Yeah. <laughs> What's interesting <laughs> is like, the second one people say is like, oh, it's it's still good. It's it's and then like the third one doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. <laughs> oh god. Um, yeah, I'm like, how deep cut is this? Um, I will be watching them at some point just to like finish it off. Um, get that little check on my uh letterbox when it's like you watch the entire series. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I'm just like I, I don't really care about the lore, but you know, spooky gonna spook. Um and so in that way, it was it did its job. I feel like a lot of horror movies, especially within the past like 10 years. Struggle with being scary. And this was like, oh, yeah, this is probably like the newest movie where I was like legitimately scared um, there. I can't think of maybe us is the last horror movie where I've been like, oh, that I, I feel nervous. It's not just like a jump scare or something like things are happening to where I'm like, I don't like this. I'm just uncomfortable. Um, But when we're talking about that kind of stuff, there is one moment in this film um, that like fucks me up so bad. It's when the guy's doing like his self video record and you just see something walk in the background. And I was like the first time I was watching it, I was like, oh, they're going to acknowledge it and stuff. And they don't acknowledge it for so long that you're like, am I making it up? Is it fake? <laughs> it's so good. Um, but yeah, um, definitely if you're looking for something scary, but like ultimately flawed, I think this is a good one. Um, any last thoughts? The characters were annoying. Especially oh, the, the characters men. are so annoying. But no, I like- they, they just be yelling, fuck off. I'm so scared <laughs> the entire movie. And I was like, I get it. You're fuck off. You're scared. Shut up. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, on the other side of uh, the kind of um, found footage mockumentary kind of style is uh, Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon, which is like, kind of a comedy kind of a horror um it's it's a really interesting film um this was one that i remembered hearing about all the time when i was a teenager i was like oh my gosh this movie and i was like i did, i always thought it was gonna be super scary so this was one that i put on and i was like oh it's it's like mostly comedy with like some good scares but um i think it really comes down to um the performance of the the guy who plays uh leslie vernon Nathan, I was going to try to say it, Nathan Basil, Basil, let's go with Basil, Nathan Basil. Um, And so this one is basically about a um, documentary film crew who decides to follow a serial killer um, who decides to do his big like murder the town. Um, And they're following him and getting involved in all his shit. 
Um, it's a it's a lot different, but um, I think what's really interesting about this one is it pure like it's definitely setting up for a sequel. And then if you read about it, the sequel, like they were never able to get it off the ground for some reason. And so like there's like, I think a letterboxed for it. There's uh, it's written in all the information is like, oh, yeah, the sequel that still has not happened. Um, and we're like, what, 16 years out at this point, 17 years next pretty soon. Apparently it's um, coming. Like, yeah, that's what they say. But I'm, I'm curious what you guys thought about this one. I love this. This was like my shit. This gives me like creep two vibes in the best of ways. Um, like such a fun, clever. The world doesn't make sense. Like, let's be clear. Like, it's very fun that like Michael Myers and Chucky and all these people are real. But like Chucky's a doll. It doesn't really make sense. But that's not important. That's not the point <laughs> the here. Where they go over that stuff. Uh, I was like, I don't. What is happening? And then they like, <laughs> yeah, we like drop it. Yeah. It's weird. I love it. And I like that there's one character that's like supposed to be the villain of Black Christmas. Like I dig like the weird world that is like using all this horror iconography as like a sandbox to play in. Um, but then you get the like it's so fun and clever. And like, I don't know, I don't think a lot of the like memes or well, I don't know about memes, like comedy that's like, lol, how funny that everyone like falls over things on when they're running from a killer. Like none of that really was like great. But I think the performances were incredible. And I really just had a blast. This is definitely one like I would be like, hey, guys, like, let's all meet at my house and watch this um like weird fun is horror film to a point i also will say i loved the when it just turns into a horror movie i know that's very controversial some people love that bit some people hate that i was like fully here for it i was like this is great that's how you transition like because you can't really do that in the style of filmmaking they were using for the rest of the project so like it really worked for me i loved this mm-hmm. i also had a really good time with it um uh, another friend of the podcast, Nick, uh, he, he s- describes it in his letterbox review as like uh, a mix between Scream and This is Spinal Tap. And I feel like that is a very accurate description of Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. Um, I really liked the mockumentary aspects of it. And I also really like when it shifts into a horror film. Because like Carson said, with like what happens, it doesn't make sense to continue the mockumentary format there. Um, I really liked the little like twisty twist and yeah, the guy who plays Leslie Vernon was freaking hilarious. I had a good time with it. Um, it wasn't like perfect. There was some parts that I got a bit like bored, especially through like the second act, but it's fun. It's a fun little film and I'm happy that it was not as scary because I watched this after Hell House LLC and I was expecting like more spooks and scares and then there was like funny ha-has i was like oh nice i'm happy i watched the second (laughs) yeah no i think uh what's interesting when you're like you know because um i'm assigned picking out the horror films for the road to halloween it's always interesting when you're like picking them you're like oh you know i can pick a paranormal activity or i can pick um and you you have to decide am i gonna pick something that's like super simple and like everyone's heard of a blair witch uh like Carson mentioned or do you go with like these like weird oddball films that like most of the audience hasn't seen but like probably should like both of these I'm like yeah if you put them on you won't be like mad you watch them um which with horror can happen you can literally watch something and be like that was the biggest waste of my life I'm sad I did that um I think both of these are really fun 
um, depending on the mood you want. It's a little uh, amuse-bouche of different kinds of uh, found footage. Yeah, I think this was probably one of the stronger weeks of Road to Halloween we've done overall. Um, Paul, what are we doing next week? Well, it's dependent on if we have a um, <laughs> a woman <laughs> on the podcast <laughs> next week, because it was going to be women-led horror, but um, we're still trying to figure that out. Um, but uh, let's say that Alina will be able to swing it. Uh, the films will be uh, Eyes of Julia, Prevenge, and Stepford Wives. Um, Stepford Wives specifically had picked before we knew that it was going to be the same week as Don't Worry Darling, and then everyone would say it was kind of a ripoff. So it'll be very interesting to discuss. Are you into international cinema? Do you enjoy reading subtitles? Maybe you're just trying to fill out your world map on Letterboxd. Well, if you're in the United States, you'll be happy to learn that the American edition of the South African Film Festival is running online from October 8th to the 18th. SAFFUSA brings you the best in African cinema with films like The White Line, President, and Blindside. They are a proud supporter of Education Without Borders, which is a charity that works to provide educational opportunities to at-risk youth in South Africa. Festival passes are on sale right now. You can find the link either in our podcast description or by going to saffusa.net. Once again, that is saffusa.net. And if you're in Canada, don't worry. The Canadian version of the festival is coming this November. Hope to see everyone there online at the South African Film Festival. And moving on to our new releases for the week, because God, we have just endless this week for some reason. Let's start out with a classic whodunit. No, we're not talking about Knives Out 2 yet. We're talking about See How They Run uh, by Tom George. This takes place in the West End, 1950s London, um, where this Agatha Christie play, um, which I am forgetting the name of for some reason right now. But that's The Mouse Trap. The Mouse Trap. Iconic. They're celebrating their 100th performance is getting turned into a film. It's highly successful. But all of a sudden, during the party, the guy in charge of um, turning it into a film gets killed. And then it becomes a whodunit where this detective, Sam Rockwell, has to team up with this like newer young detective, Sosha Ronan, uh, to find out who killed the guy. Um, played by Adrian Brody. I'll f- say that out there because I was like shooketh. I was like, oh, he's going to die first. And then he was. So I love <laughs> that you can always tell because it's like the big name that feels out of place. They're always the one who dies. Um, Alina, I know you have a lot to say about this film and specifically the ending, which I think let's get spoiler free and then we'll go into spoilers. I will say quickly, I really like this. Let's be very clear. It's much darker. It's much drier than something like Knives Out. Um, but still the comedy, I thought this was rather hysterical at times. Um, there's a lot of really smart humor, a lot of great personalities. As far as the acting, I think Rockwell, Ronan, um, they're probably the main highlights here. But I think the cast overall, the ensemble is really strong. Um, I, I enjoyed it. I, I thought the mystery was good. I think the payoff is interesting. I don't know if they actually build it well enough. We can talk about the mystery. I didn't necessarily predict what the ending was going to be. I don't know if that's a positive or negative. Part of the fun of murder mysteries is being able to be like, oh, all the clues are coming together. I have my theory. I don't know if I was able to do that, but I'm also kind of stupid. So it's hard to like fault the film for that. Um, but I know you had a lot to say about this. So what were your thoughts on see how they run? 
I also really like to see how they run. It came out on Agatha Christie's birthday. So if you're like a whodunit fan and you didn't see it opening weekend, you're trash. You're a slacker. Come on, get your head in the game. Um, there's a point in this where Adrian Brody's character says that once you've seen like one whodunit, you've seen them all. And this does hit like the traditional beats of the whodunit. But I also think it's a very like interesting like examination of the who- the whodunit as a genre. Um, and I think they kind of like turn things on their head. And I think it makes them, like, more interesting than a traditional whodunit. Like, I'm dumb, and I will admit that. And most of the times during, like, murder mysteries, I have no idea who the killer is. Because, like, I I also just, like, I don't try to think. I just kind of, like, sit there and vibe. And I just, like, wait until, like, it's revealed for me. Because, like, I don't want to think about who the killer is. I'm just going to just let it unfold. And then once the reveal comes, then I'll be like, oh, this, 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 this. But, like, this one plays with you a bit. They kind of, like, throw some red herrings there. I know they do that in other murder mysteries, too. But, like, I was really convinced it was one character. And then when the actual reveal came, I was like, shit, I forgot that character existed. Um, I really liked it. You also get to see, like, Agatha Christie as a character at one point. The entire ensemble cast is really good. Sam Rockwell and Charcy Ronan have really great chemistry. I really liked Adrian Brody, um, David... Oh my god, I always forget how to say that man's name. I'm so sorry. Um, and Harris Dickinson. Put Harris Dickinson in everything. I fucking love that guy. He's ugly in some movies, and he's hot in other movies. He's hot in this one, and he's hot in Triangle of Sadness, so I was happy to see him. Which is, he's hot or ugly in The Kingsman? He's hot in The Kingsman. He's ugly in Where the Crawdads Sing. <laughs> but I don't think that was his fault. I think it was I... his hairstyle in that movie. <laughs> But he is just one of those faces where it could be where he could be ugly or hot depending on how his hair is styled. Anyway, I love him. He's been having such a year lately. He's he's in fucking every everything. Um, I wish he was like in this more. Uh, there were parts of See How They Run where I thought it was like dragging out a little bit. Like it felt a bit too long for me. Um, and I also wish that they had showed Harris Dickinson's character a bit more. He plays the actor on the play of The Mousetrap, who's playing the detective, but in the play. So I liked that. Him and Sam Rockwell, whenever they had moments together, which there weren't enough of, those were really funny because they were both kind of detectives. Like, yeah, Sam Rockwell's the actual detective. He's the, Harris is the acting detective. That was funny. I liked that. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of scenes of just, like, Rockwell and Ronan in a car together, just, like, bantering, which is fun. Love it. But, like, I don't know if we needed that many scenes of them. Um, I think the most harrowing thing I've never thought about is if Miu and Paul try to do one of those, like, murder mystery kits. Because every murder mystery, we're, like, we're the stupidest people around. I think that would be hysterically funny how bad we are at it. Paul would be carrying the team. Well, we'd just be like, what about this? And he'd be like, no, you guys no, are morons. But Paul's also going to lead us up wrong. Like, there's no way Paul's <laughs> going to But he's going to do it confidently is the thing. And we'll be like, sure, he must know what he's talking about. And then he'll be the wrong person. Um, yeah, I think it's interesting, this relationship with Agatha Christie, releasing on her birthday, having her as a character, a pretty, I would say, at times, major character in the film as far as what's going on. 
But at the same time, like it is a celebration of her work. It's a celebration of the genre. It obviously defines itself in the Agatha Christie genre of whodunits. At the same time, and we can talk about spoilers here in a minute, but like it is a rather scathing review of them also. Like it is a kind of like you mentioned how they talk about like it turns it on its head. I would say this is in some ways like very anti whodunit, very anti true crime, which is kind of bold for a murder mystery <laughs> to be, um, especially mm-hmm. one based on real people. Like when you kind of get into the layers of what this film is saying about like its own identity, it's a very complex film in a way that like I don't know if it's genius. I don't know if it's really stupid for that, but like I'll admit it's bold and I respect that. Mm-hmm. So I am like Leah Michelle in the sense that I don't know how to read. So I've never read The Mousetrap, nor have I watched The Mousetrap play, if that is a thing in real life. Um, so I feel like there must be some connections between like The Mousetrap and See How They Run that I missed, but I enjoyed it anyway. Um, anyway, right now we are going to tell you who the killer is. So if you don't want to know who the killer is, you need to skip, I don't know, at least two minutes, maybe five to be safe. I don't know how long Carson and I are going to talk about it, but you've been warned. So you can't get mad at me now. Okay. The killer is the Belgian usher named Dennis. And I forgot that character existed so much that when the reveal came i was like who the fuck is that guy and then they said oh the usher from the mousetrap play and i was like oh because normally with whodunits it's one of the characters that is like very present throughout the play and he is like the usher is there sometimes but he's not like a major major character so i just i honestly forgot about him And here is the interesting thing about the Usher. His character, Dennis, as a child, his twin brother died in foster care or adoption or something from, like, child abuse slash neglect. And we learn in his, like, villain reveal monologue that his story um, and his dead twin brother's story is what Agatha Christie based the mousetrap on and he goes on this really interesting tirade about how he was really upset with what Agatha Christie did with his story in the mousetrap book and then for some sociopathic reason he decided to become an usher on London's West End for the mousetrap and he says that he was kind of hoping that watching it would heal him in some sort of way which I can understand that perspective, but obviously that didn't work. Dennis, the usher, is upset with the playwright's changes. He kills Adrian Brody because he's directing, he was supposed to direct the Mousetrap film adaptation, and he didn't like the approach Adrian Brody seemed to be taking. Um, And he's going on this tirade. And I can't remember exactly all the details, but like, Agatha Christie basically knocks him out with a snow shovel and she gets stopped, but she's about to like bash that man's brains in. And the film doesn't like go fully into this theme. I think they missed it, but I think it's like a really interesting little scene about the ethics of true crime, which is something I think about often. Like, obviously, I'm sure, I don't know if the mousetrap is actually based on like a real 
thing. Again, I don't know how to read. But, like, in the world of See How They Run, it's based on a real case, something that actually happened when there's real victims. And it's a thing, like, who gets to tell these stories? Are we even allowed to tell these stories? How do these um, adaptations of people's, like, victims, like, fucking lives, how does that affect them? Because, obviously, Dennis goes fucking crazy, and he starts killing all the people that are involved with, like, bastardizing his story and the story of his dead twin brother, and it's, like, very sad. And I think the film with Agatha Christie, like, knocking him out and about to kill him, I think it says that, like, I feel like they're implying that, like, it's just a story and victims don't matter. That's the, I don't, and I don't know if they realize that that's what they were giving. No, I, I mean, they definitely don't get it. Cause I mean, it really is like gone in a flash. Like this mm-hmm. deeply it's very rich, quick. deeply like, re- like also just relevant thing. Like I think it was last week or a couple weeks ago, you had house of hammer come out and like all the people involved in that specifically against army hammer were like, Oh, this is disgusting. Like, why are you using our story like this? True crime is becoming huge. Like we get all these horrible, like lifetime originals about like, Oh, this is the Gabby story and all this. Like it's, true crime is becoming massive so this is like such a rich like area for this film to explore that again is even like kind of detrimental to its own right having agatha christie and making this whole story up about the mousetrap um which seemingly based on very quick research is not real um but yeah it's gone in a flash like you Mm. said i mean it really is not like the thesis of the film it's not the grand reveal i don't think like they necessarily do him justice as like quote unquote the villain. Cause he's not really the villain. Like as he's speaking, you're kind of like, yeah, like I get it. If I saw my brother's like murder used on stage as like a comedic thing, just for like money and entertainment value, I'd be pretty pissed also. Um, mm-hmm. Like it just doesn't use this, which is so strange because it is so strong. Mm-hmm. I think it's like in like regards to like the ethics of true crime in general, I think like, I enjoy true crime. I watch them for, like, the morbid fascination of it all, and I will admit that. But, like, I feel like nowadays with how popular it is, there's so much, like, crossing of the line these days. Like, I enjoy watching, like, true crime YouTube, but I will only watch people who I feel are, like, really respectful of victims and, like, I feel they do proper research on their cases and they, like, donate their money to, like, um that like missing children's foundation and things like that there are other people who will make like youtube videos and they're doing their makeup when they're telling you about somebody's murder and that's fucked up or like philip defranco literally just talked about this this week on his like news youtube channel um and he was talking to this girl who whose mother was murdered And Renee Zellweger, I don't remember the network behind it, but, like, she's the executive producer and acts in it, took the story and, like, Renee Zellweger plays the killer. And, like, there's so many things in it that they add for, like, drama purposes that, like, didn't happen. So this girl is, like, checking out the show and she's, like, seeing the, like, murderer comfort her character in the show when that never happened and this woman killed her fucking mother in real life and like things like that are just crazy and i 
I really wish that, like, the people behind See How They Run had, like, considered that in the film because it is such a quick thing, but it's such an interesting thing to talk about. I think it's because they just wanted this to be funny, which is, like, sad. Yeah. But I think especially like, the whodunit genre has always kind of been seen as entertainment. But especially mm-hmm. since Knives Out, it feels like there's this big demand within it to, like, no, we want this to be hysterically funny. It can have social commentary and depth, but it mm-hmm. has to be funny. It has to be enjoyable. And I feel like they were worried about straying too far from that, which is a shame. I mean, you're, t- you're dealing with, like, murder, death. I mean, you can have it be not funny at the end. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know. Yeah. It's good, though. I would recommend anyone watch this. I mean, I if you're listening now, we spoiled it for you. So I guess that kind of takes some of it out of it. Um, but yeah, I do recommend you see it. Yeah, this is a solid film. It's I really appreciate how much, like, the murder mystery whodunit genre has, like, made its return. And everyone thinks it was Ryan Johnson. It was Adam Sandler. And I Hell yeah. It was Adam Sandler. Fight me. Go on our Patreon, listen to our commentary track. (laughs) (laughs) That man was ahead of the game. He's a pioneer. (laughs) Best car chase in the history of cinema changed my mind. Um, (laughs) Well, we didn't know who the killer was and see how they run. We do know who the killer is in Pearl because it's Pearl. Spoiler alert. Um, Alina, you enjoyed X earlier in the year. Do you want to take it away with Pearl? I know. Thank God Paul's not here, everyone, because he hated X because he has bad opinions. Okay. Yeah, I really liked X. I haven't rewatched it, but I do feel like I really, really, really liked it, mostly because of the 70s aesthetic. I feel like if it was set in any other genre, it'd just be like an average film to me, which brings us to Pearl. It's fine. But I didn't like it very much. I just thought it was dull. <laughs> like, Mia Goth is great. She fucking delivers on the performance. But I don't think Pearl is a compelling enough character to make a feature-length film about her. Um, Like, I was just sitting there. And something I'll say to myself when I'm watching movies is, like, this could have been a short film. And Pearl could have been a short film. The thesis of it is that she's nuts and she wants to be famous. And they stretch that out for like, what, an hour and 40 minutes? Do we need to stretch it out to an hour and 40 minutes? Did I need to know that there were crocodiles in the swamp this whole time? Alligators, I guess, because she lives in America. I'm sorry, they're alligators, not crocodiles. Um, Did I need to see her murdering a goose with a pitchfork within the opening 10 minutes no i did not like you need to see the sex with the scarecrow though right yeah the sex with the scarecrow that was weird but i thought it was fun i like shit like that that was interesting um i like the stag film they the fucking projectionist guy who shows her i thought that was gross and weird and i respected that but then there's so much other things in it i'm just like sure i also like don't fully understand why she's like super super evil like i understand that like her parents are like holding her back like she has a disabled father and like a bitchy german mother but like like is this enough to like go around (laughs) killing poor little animals on your farm you know the classic thing if you have a disabled father you become a murderer so i don't know i just i didn't like it carson it was fine but i wanted to like it way more than i did i'm sad i'm disappointed 
<laughs> yeah, it's not great. It's definitely very boring, and there's just like nothing to it. I think one of my favorite parts of X is how it always feels like it's like saying something, it's doing something. Like there's a purpose for X. There's simply not a purpose for Pearl. She's uh, number one Pearl confirmed anti-masker. I want to get that out there. Um, but it's just like <laughs> this character number one. The point of her character in X is like she is turned into this murderer, this killer, because like the loss of her sexuality and femininity. But no, she just always has been this bad guy. So like kind of erases that bit in X. But even just focusing on Pearl, like it's all Technicolor kind of style. I like the visuals i like mia goth a lot i like the weird stuff like the scarecrow and the porno they watch in the cinema but like there is simply nothing to this film other than like if you feel trapped because your family is demanding of you like you're just, just gonna kill, kill them everyone. like it doesn't make any sense it's not okay intra- yeah Here's the thing. I feel like Ty West and Mia Goth, because she's like credited as a screenwriter on this, think they're trying to say something, but it gets too muddled. Like there's like a whole thing about like the impossible standards society holds women to. We have to be perfect. We can't age, blah, blah, blah. But like they don't say Is anything that in about Pearl? it. I think so. Where in Pearl is that? <laughs> well, it's more so in X, but they don't yeah. like bring that over to Pearl. Which is what they should have done. Because, like, she she's, like, married. Her husband is, like, off fighting in Germany in, like, World War One or something. Um, like, wh- she should have had, like, a thing about how she's, like, oh, I don't know what kind of accent she has. I'm not going to do it. Um, she's, like, uh, I'm on this farm. I don't – I can't do a Kentucky accent right now. <laughs> I think that's what it is. Um, she's, like – She's like, I'm on, I'm on this farm and my husband's off at the war and I don't know what I'm doing with my life. I'm scared. Like, I'm going to have to have children soon, blah, blah, blah. She doesn't say anything like that. There's no, like, sense of urgency, like, or frustration that she's aging. And as a 25-year-old with, like, nothing to show for it, that's something that I am very aware of and it scares me. And I don't understand why that was, like, not something that we projected onto her because that would make sense within the context of her trying to be famous. Like, she wants to make something of herself while she's still young and beautiful. Yeah. But age is a bitch and it's coming for us. Like, I'm already 25. I want to get married by the time I'm 30 and I'm disgustingly single. I'm fucked. She, they should have done something like that. How old know? is she even in this? Because there's this no weird, idea. Like- contradiction of like she's married she has a life seemingly her independent but she life lives but she home. also and she's like her parents are like no you're grounded like it's not it's very weird yeah. i feel like she, okay mia goth is what in her 30s pearl has to be in her 20s like like i mean but i don't but know it makes like, no sense they okay i feel like they married young in early america yeah, i don't know they did <laughs> they definitely did like they must have gotten married at like 18 and then he shipped off to the war Here's the thing, though. They mention their in-laws a bit and how, like, her husband, I don't remember his name, let's call him George. George is, like, a rich boy and Mia Goth gets with him or Pearl gets with him because he's, like, a rich guy. But he forsakes all the richness because he becomes a farmhand on their farm. That's how they meet. But Pearl thinks George is going to take her away. But he doesn't. He wants to stay on the farm and live the simple life. But yes, that's not explored much either. 
And neither are like the little bit. They have a quite a bit here about like the new thing of cinema and that's providing escapism. And then it's like kind of supposed to be tragic. She's like, no, we just got to settle down with what we have. But, like that's not really explored at all. Like it feels like this movie says nothing and then has the ending mo- monologue, which is incredible from Goth, I'll say. And that's where they try to be like, here's the purpose of this. But it's like, well, no, I would like that for the entire hour 40. It's just one of those movies that like, it wants to be it's definitely like a vibe movie and then at the end they're like shit we really have to say something because x said something and it just ends up saying so little i will say one shocking discovery i just made i don't know if you know this that porno film is a real film a real oh, porno sick. film let's watch it called a free ride from 1915 <laughs> we have to review that on the podcast at some point that's iconic i love that um also known as a grass sandwich don't really know what that's about but sure um yeah i don't know i'm frustrated by this because i really love x and i was like oh this is gonna be great and then it wasn't and now i'm like oh god there's another one maxine is that gonna say something hopefully i don't know mm-hmm. i'm still looking forward to maxine but i think ty west is just rushing this trilogy and he's not taking time to consider Pearl or Maxine? Because when does Maxine come out? I didn't. I still it haven't watched the footage yet. from it. Oh, okay, so maybe we'll get something smarter with Maxine. But Pearl was not it. Well, I don't know because people are loving Pearl. People are really. I, like, I don't responding. get it, guys. Why do you guys like it? I read people's five stars reviews and they're just like Mia Goth vibes. Loved it, and I'm like, but. What do you actually think about it? I get hints here, like the pandemic and feeling like you need to escape your life during a pandemic, like because she's going through the Spanish flu, I think, or Spanish, I don't know what it is. It's something. Yeah, Spanish flu. And like, we just went through a pandemic. So like, I get that parallel. I get like, there's hints here. Like on paper, I recognize like what it's trying to say. It just doesn't really go anywhere with them. And I really hate when a film like this is disappointing and then everyone just validates it because then it validates for the creator. I can do this and that's acceptable. And I'm like, no, go back to X. Go back to doing good stuff because it's better. (laughs) Okay, and next up, you guys got the pleasure to see a film I didn't see and I don't even know the name of. So you guys can really take this one away. I got you a screener for it. Um, and I didn't watch the screener of it. <laughs> never, cl- never claimed I couldn't watch it. All I said is I didn't watch it. Lord did a good job missing it, Carson. So the film is called uh, Catherine Called Birdie. Um, and it's directed by Lena Dunham. And it's stars Bella Ramsey, who most people know as uh, Liana Mormont from uh, Game of Thrones. Kind of the MVP, the little um, little leader girl. Um, if you remember that show. Um, and it also has Andrew Scott, Billy Piper, and uh, Mr. Taylor Swift in it. And um, it's... I enjoyed it. I can see why people wouldn't. Um, but in you mentioned in your review, Alina, that it was really similar to... Um, Enola Holmes. Enola Holmes. I can never remember what that fucking movie is called. Same um, vibes. Extremely but, similar yeah, vibes. Hey, Enola Holmes 2 coming this November. Hype. Oh, Get God. <laughs> Hated Enola Holmes. And this, I don't know. Okay, so like, <laughs> um, I think it's just like one of those movies where I was like not expecting to like it that much, but I was just like vibing with it. And I think it's just 
honestly, fully because of Bella Ramsey. I like enjoy being around her as a actress. I think she has a really good presence and it felt like she has command of something that someone at her age shouldn't just in terms of screen presence. And then, you know, putting in Andrew Scott and Billy Piper, um, who Alina, you've watched Doctor Who, I believe. Um, I literally cannot think of anything else other than uh, Rose Tyler. Um, she's in a couple of things. She just like did her own director feature called Rare Beasts. I haven't seen it yet, but it's on my watch list. Yeah, she also was in a show that like um, kind of blew up for a hot second. Um, I hate Susie, um, mm-hmm. which I was talking about with my family and my stepmom's name Susie, and I just said that title out, and everyone like turned and gasped, and that's what I remember about that show. Um, but yeah, um, no, but I like I always will see her as you know uh, the first role you see someone in that's really popular, which is weird because I always think of Andrew Scott now as the hot priest instead of as Moriarty. But yeah, I haven't no, seen I think Fleabag. So it's still Moriarty to me. You haven't seen Fleabag? No. <laughs> <laughs> that is the biggest shock of my entire life. Um, okay. Well, I you feel like it's like, I haven't just haven't gotten to it yet. Are you kidding? Okay. So uh, this is a side note, but like, this is a small movie, so it's not a big deal. How you watch Fleabag. It is not two seasons of a TV show. It is part one and part two of a movie so it's like or like a sequel a movie and its sequel and that's how you have to watch it like watch one movie season one and then watch movie two season two um and you'll be like wow this was the greatest thing people who watch it and like watch season one split up are like i didn't really get it and it's like because season two is the second part of the story which is interesting because she didn't originally have that and the play doesn't have that but you need season two to make season one so great as well. Love that show. One of the greatest things what ever is written. It on uh, Amazon Prime. Oh, and like they're six 20 minute episodes. So like you literally can't oh. watch it as two movies. Fantastic. Amazing. Like one of the greatest things ever. But um, back to this movie. Um, also Amazon, though. Um, yeah. I think what it's going for, which is like a mid to late teens audience, I think it'll hit right. Um, curious what you think, though, Alina. Uh, I just I didn't like it very much. Um, there was like way too much narration. Like we there said, was it was very giving Enola Holmes, like very quirky girl boss, 13 year old. I was like, I don't care. Um, it's just weird. I didn't, like, understand a lot of, like, the style choices or directing choices. Like, it it takes place in, like, the 13th century, and then they use, like, modern music and things like that. And, like, we talked about Marie Antoinette earlier. I liked it in that case, but in in Catherine Calberti, it just didn't work for me. Um, our girl, Liana Mormont, has a crush on her uncle, Joe Alwyn. I thought that was weird and gross. Uh, they kind of just brush oh, around that. So, so wait, it's gross in this, but it's perfectly fine in House of the Dragon. <laughs> exactly. It's because Rhaenyra is an adult. I mean, is <laughs> she, she? she, no, I think she's like 15 in the show, but her actress 
is an adult, so it feels less gross. Freaking, <laughs> what is this girl's name again? <laughs> Bella Ramsey is a literal child, so it feels a lot grosser she's than 18. it does. <laughs> she looks so much like a child. There's no way she's 18. I don't believe you. September That's bullshit. 25th, 2003. <laughs> no way. She's not 18. Okay, she has a young she, face. She's almost 19. Shut <laughs> up. I literally don't believe you. Okay, listen. She might be an adult. She doesn't look like an adult, and it makes it grosser. It's Wait. weird. She's the voice of Hilda? Whoa. Of course she is. I don't know if you've watched Hilda on Netflix. It's fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, fuck. She's Hilda. Um, wow. She is doing fantastic. Good for mm-hmm. Bella Ramsey. I'm happy for her. I think she's going to end up being like one of those that were like, oh, look, she's, you know, always nominated for Oscars. How did we not know she was there? Like a Florence Pugh. And we're just mm-hmm. like slowly watching that kind of like person. And I think that's why I liked this. Was like I didn't. The movie's fine. Um, very unLena Dunham though. Um, weirdly Lena Dunham in that like you know some of the themes, but like you know I'm so used to Lena Dunham being like boring. It's <laughs> like a theme. <laughs> like even Girls, which like has some great moments, is still like it's trying to be almost boring. Like there's something about mm-hmm. it that's just supposed to be mundane and like calm. And this is like well, a little... the thing about Catherine Colberti is I at least watched the entire thing. I wasn't bored. I just thought it was weird and gross. There's this okay. So like the whole plot is her Catherine Birdie getting married off to all these old suitors, and they she kind of sabotages them. And then this one old gross man she gets engaged to, Shaggy Beard. Um, She's like tries to scare him off by oinking and he's very very into it and he oinks back and that was the worst thing I've ever seen. It was so gross. I was I like, no, 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 no. I hated it. I hated it so much. It like made me my skin crawl. It was so icky. <laughs> um yeah. My best friend like read the book that this is based on as a child. And I was telling her, like, oh my god, this just happened, this just happened. She's like, I don't remember that from the book. Granted, she hasn't read it since she was a child, but she's like, Why does it this sound like, so much weirder so than funny. I remember? She's like, Why does it sound so much weirder than I remember? Anyway, I don't know. I didn't like it. It's not my vibe, but I think the youths who this is targeted towards will like it. And yeah, Andrew Scott's great. We love him. Yeah, um, so this will be coming out um, October 7th on Amazon Prime. A rave review to make you go watch on Amazon Prime. I liked it. I, uh, I'm i sorry it's a mixed review, but no, no, no. I would say, like, especially... I'm being like, honest. You know, I would yeah, still tell no. people to watch it purely for the oinking scene. <laughs> <laughs> but I also, like, you know, uh, we have uh, fans of all ages, um, here at Clappercast, and like, if you're like, you know, younger, I can totally see this being like a movie you love. Um, I wish one actually... of you just consistently had bad opinions because it's hard because half the time Paul's right and half the time Alina's right, so you never really know what you're getting. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was almost going to do something really clever, Carson. So we're gonna pretend that you didn't say that. Hey, a really first time comment. for everything. Go for it. Um, and I was going to say. And much like popular teen girl movies, do revenge. Oh my god! Thank I you. Got it. God. <laughs> Jesus. I see why the um, ratings on Disney Channel have declined. Um, no. <laughs> I'll cut that. 
yeah, so do revenge on Netflix, the last new release of the week, guys. Um, Paul, or I guess I'll just do it. I don't have it pulled up. Okay, um, do revenge. It. I just, I'm gonna just go grab a. No, coke I can do it. It's fine. And tequila. I, just, I can do it. I'm doing it. Okay, <laughs> mention if you that she's in Riverdale. Who? Camilla. What? I'll Camilla. So you can. I'll save that for you. Fine, you introduce it. Yes, do revenge. Our last new release of the week. Paul, I know you're desperately wanting to start off with this one. So go ahead and take it away. Yeah. Um, so do revenge is one of those like weird movies that you've like never heard of, and then all of a sudden everyone's talking about it. Um, like overnight. Um, which I love. That's one of my favorite things. Um, especially with the Netflix, I want to say it's not a binge model, but just like a drop with no anything and it's just like here's a movie watch it um so it stars um camilla mendez yeah sorry mm-hmm. um it stars camilla mendez and um our favorite nepotism baby Maya i Hawk. know uh let me yeah i don't know why <laughs> that that name it stars camilla mendez and our favorite nepotism baby maya hawk um, and weirdly has a cameo from Sophie Turner uh, <laughs> for no reason. Oh, and Alina, you mentioned it. Sarah Michelle Geller, queen. Yeah. Um, Nobody so told me she was in it. I've seen people talking about this all weekend. I literally just watched it right before we started recording. And she popped up and I was like, why did none of you bitches tell me the queen? Wait, the funniest part is I wrote there. Matthew was- herself is in it. Yeah, I wrote you and I said, um, because you mentioned, um, going back to Catherine called Birdie, that there was a surprise Russell Brand. And then I wrote later in the uh, the next day, I was like, oh, there's a surprise cameo in um, <laughs> Do Revenge. And I was meaning Sarah Michelle Gellar. But then yeah. fucking Sophie Turner showed up. And I was like, wow, there's just a lot of random fucking people in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so the theory is that this is supposed to be Strangers on a Train. I don't know if you guys have seen Strangers on a Train. This is not Strangers on a Train. (laughs) Like, I was watching it and I was like, not at all. Um, I would say it's closer to John Tucker Must Die um, in terms of, like, the, you know, revenge plot and everything. But, like, Strangers on a Train is two people decide to um, murder the people causing problems in their lives um, for each other. And... It's a lot more fucked up. It's a lot more twisted. But like, that's not what this is. I get that it's like, oh, you you fuck up my person, I'll fuck up yours. But like, they work together. It's just it's not the same thing at all. Um, but cute that they're trying that. Uh, <laughs> trying to say that it's the same thing. But other than that, no, I I was shocked at how much I love this movie. Um, I'm curious what you guys thought. As a historian of the teen girl drama, like John Tucker Must Die, Mean Girls, et cetera, et cetera, I really liked it. It doesn't hit like the classic 2000 ones do, but I had a fun time with it. Like, I feel like Camila Mendez and Maya Hawk have a really great dynamic. This is one of the first things I've actually liked Maya Hawk in. Hot take. She's not my favorite nepotism baby. Um, but I thought she was good here. Fully agree. Fully. She's not. She's not great. Am I alone on the Maya Hawk train? Wow. You are. Everyone really likes Maya Hawk, but like. I like her as a nepotism baby, but I don't like her as an actress, usually. Yeah. um, I love that. Also, I just expect more more from her. 
considering she's Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman's offspring. I have I have a hot take as well about um, <laughs> both castings in this. Mm-hmm. Um, there was too much of a height difference. <laughs> <I'm> sorry, <laughs> it, like it got so distracting at points when they were like shooting the camera and uh camilla mendez looked like a little baby and i was like how they were having to shoot down on her and then shoot up at maya hawk and it was like don't shoot like that <laughs> like do not do uh you know the over the shoulder shots in this way um it was like it's the one thing in this movie every time it would happen i was like oh no um but yeah i i also think uh alina you mentioned um you know, it's not as it doesn't hit the same as a John Tucker must die or a Mean Girls. But I do wonder, did those movies hit the first time we watched them? Like, I don't know. Or I don't did they know hit because over time? by the time I had watched, because I'm a youth, I, I was like, by the time like Mean Girls was a huge thing, it had been out for a couple of years before I watched it. By the time John Tucker must die, Clueless. Legally Blonde, etc. Those have already been out for a couple years and they were like already huge in the cultural zeitgeist. I think if I was like 30, 35, I would watch those movies right as they were coming out, but I was too young for it. So I don't know. Maybe in five years, Do Revenge will hit the same as like a clueless. Yeah, I feel like I feel era. like all of these movies need like two to three watches if you like it the first time to like really get onto the you know yeah like for me book smart hit like the second time i watched it i need to try that one again yeah Um, i really liked it on the second watch yeah i think this is stronger than book smart that's gonna be my hot take Mm -hmm. um so i'm really excited when she makes a uh middling um female-led horror in a couple years (laughs) (laughs) well we don't need to get into that. Who is he, is what? Is she gonna fuck like Sam Mendes or someone? Like we'll get to that. Wait, did you guys see someone great? <laughs> no. It was Wait, someone what? great? Did the oh, Netflix did. Yeah, film same great. The same director, same writer with like Gina Rodriguez, Brittany Snow. I really liked that one. So yeah, uh, it makes sense why I enjoyed Do Revenge as well. Oh my god, this girl's a writer on Thor: Love and Thunder. Yeah. I Ew. saw that. It's which, crazy. Um, oh, she also but, wrote Unpregnant. Oh. But the thing is, I bet the stuff I liked in Thor Love and Thunder in terms of the comedy was from her. I would guess it was a lot of um Have you seen Unpregnant? No. Slaps, you should watch it. Fuck off. It's so good. Watch something called Unpregnant. It you has Haley Lou We don't Richardson. do that shit anymore. It has Haley Lou Richardson <laughs> and Barbie Ferreira and it, they go on a road trip to get an abortion. It's sick. It's really good. That's it's cute. on HBO Max, um, probably. It's on well, Crave for me. I didn't know Maya Hawk had a version of Little Women where she played Joe March, so I'm watching that tonight. Um, oh. yeah, okay, <laughs> shut up, both of you. Do Revenge, at least we agree on this one. It is iconic. I love this film instantly iconic if you're especially like younger this hits the zeitgeist so well like as soon as olivia rodrigo hit i was like yes i am here for this so funny um this year i watched like clueless i watched most of those films for the first time ever and like loved all of them i love that this is right in line with them because this type of teen comedy is like a genre that has died and i'm happy to finally have it back um i really loved this one i think it was so cute i also liked like 
so much of the queerness. I don't know. I really liked it. I dug it. Mm-hmm. Netflix actually did something good for once, which is shocking. I just thought it was too long. I was yeah. like, it could have been shorter. I needed this to be like a clean 90 minutes. I just, there's no reason for this to be two hours. But yeah, I did really like the twist. I was like, it was not a twisty twist I was expecting. I don't want to ruin the twist. We won't talk about it. Yeah, I don't think we need yeah. to spoil it. But it's good. Yeah. Um, the one thing about this movie, um, other than their heights, that was like a little weird to me was in movies, usually, if you're screenwriting, like you up the stakes. Um, and the first prank that they do is so insane that everything else that happens in the movie I was like, I mean, that's not as crazy as the thing that happened earlier, um, you know, with the uh, dinner with the sequence. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, that is crazier than anything else that happens in this movie. Because I was like, yeah, all the other stuff is like crazy on a personal level. But like, that's why like, that's like an end of movie moment usually. And so, it's so weird. That, that was like, they like hit the height at like, I want to say the hour mark. And then everything mm-hmm. else was more personal drama. Um, yeah. Oh, there yeah. are very great costumes in this, I must say. Oh, it has like euphoria production and costume. Oh, it's great. I was gonna, I was gonna say clueless. I feel like this is them going. No. Let's do our own clueless. Um, mm-hmm. Also weird. Um, a lot of the songs they use are my generation and older than my generation, they which I use kind songs of love. that are from other teen drama movies. Like, yeah, there were some, and I was like, oh, I remember that from this movie. I can't think of any right now. Are you but... thinking of Flagpole Sitter, which is in, um, I want to say. They American do that, Boy? like, Kids of America is in Clueless. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, kids... for example. Oh, so that definitely was the plan because um, yeah. Flagpole Sitter is in, I'm pretty sure it's in um, American Pie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that one's definitely really from Clueless because the really kids in America. Whoa. Whoa, that's from the fountain when they're taking pictures. Oh, in Clueless, yeah. yeah, they definitely did it on purpose. That's why it hit so well. They really, they really did a good job balancing all the new stuff with yeah. the old nostalgia. And yeah, the it has enough to where like the teens nowadays would be like, oh, they're doing Billie Eilish right now. That's great. Like, Olivia it, it Rodrigo. Anyway, that like freaking marigold print hat and overalls Maya Hawk is wearing, I would like it. I've like thirsted after that brand for like years. It's like a handmade clothing boutique in Los Angeles. It costs like 200 US dollars for those overalls, so I cannot afford. But want them so bad. Uh, okay, subscribe so to I our have, Patreon I, so Lena can buy the handmade overalls. I have a, I have a question though. Hmm. Did Maya Hawk look better? Before or after? Bo? Break your neck. Burn them. Snap it. Me Snap watching it inside right be like. <laughs> okay. Okay, so I have a question. Did Maya Hawk look better before or after the makeover? Because I thought her makeover looked insane. I thought that blonde hair was so bad for her face. And it was just like, I kept constantly was looking and I'm like, this is the makeover we've decided. I mean, <laughs> her clothing got better, but her overall look, I think, was a downgrade. And I thought that was really interesting because it doesn't fit. Oh, also, is Camilla Mendez poor in this movie? And if so, 
how does she afford to have the things that she has? Like, I know that thrifting. they tried to explain it away. But yeah, I know they tried she goes to say that. That shit it's is the not Salvation thrifting. Army. <laughs> I she know. Was like, I this at the Salvation Army. I was like, no, she fucking didn't. Have you ever been to the Salvation Army? Have you been Army? to? <laughs> Have you ever been to the West Hollywood <laughs> Salvation Army, Paul? <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> um, also, uh, the Sophie Turner, like, people are loving that scene. Um, I thought Sophie was a little overacting. That's my truth. Um, I was like, mm. I That's liked it, but I agree with you. Like, I, I, I did like, oh, also, um, I, you know, fun trivia fact about this. Apparently, like, the use of cunt was a huge deal. Um, and they like were like, hey, can you record other versions of the line? They were like, oh, we forgot, which I kind of love. Um, it reminds me of um, uh, in Fight Club. Um, there was there's a famous line in Fight Club where she says, I haven't fucked like that since grade school. <laughs> um, and she's uh, this is uh, Helena Bonham Carter talking to uh, Brad Pitt. And they were like, you cannot say that. And they were like, can you have an alt line? Just something lesser. And his lesser line was, I want to have your abortion. Um, and they were like, actually, that's somehow worse. <laughs> they were like, you can say I haven't fucked since grade school. <laughs> um, that's kind of what I thought of was the same like, oh, can you have an alt? And it's like, no. <laughs> can I say I loved the bearded dragon that got to wear a bunch of uniforms and his Oscar name is Oscar winner, winner Olivia Coleman. Oh, God. <laughs> the fact that it's a bearded dragon fucking send me. And that like, he gets to dress up. It's not so Not an good. emotional support cat or rabbit. No, we're having an emotional support bearded dragon, period. <laughs> yeah, I love I, this I, movie. Watch it. I think it's going to be one of those movies that, like, I mean, I wrote a bunch of people and I was like, you have to watch it. It's so much fun. Um, and I think it's going to probably blow up a lot bigger than um even netflix is expecting because they have not done any fanfare for it um but we're like we're desperate for a good teen movie um do you think this would have blown up bigger if it was in theaters i think this would have been like amazing in theaters to be h uh okay so here's my truth um i don't think either of them are big enough names i think you would have to read oh you know what i'm gonna say my other problem with this film sorry um love the cast this should have been set in college there is no reason that 30 yeah. year old camilla mendez and like you know looks mid 40s maya hawk um <laughs> should um be playing high school students i was just like that's not even you know uh, the famous one is um dion from clueless um was like 35 um when she played uh dion um but even then you were like oh, i can believe it it's fine these like look like women um and so a lot of the times when they're like we're just little kids i'm like are you <laughs> which is like i want to go to yale and i'm like you should have gone to yale years ago sorry <laughs> also um the other thing that i kind of uh didn't work for me and i'm curious what you guys thought was like the constant jokes about the like white knighting from uh mendez's ex-boyfriend max like every single joke that they made with him i was like this is so easy i mean i know that guy again and again and again but like 
there's just funnier ways to do it. It felt too like this is like the easiest version of that joke, and I would have liked something a little wittier, but that's mm-hmm. mild notes. Otherwise, yeah, it's great, and I'll probably watch it, you know. It'll probably end up being one of my top-watched movies because I'll probably just put it on with people and be like, oh, let's watch it. You'll love it. And enough of our new release reviews for the week. Uh, but we have a lot of reviews coming this fall and winter. And Alina, you just attended TIFF, so you got to see quite a bit of the films we're talking about over the next few months. Um, and I know you have a list of what you saw ranked from worst to best, and you want to run through them and tell us what should we anticipate? What should we stay away from? Mm-hmm. So take it away. So I watched 25 things. We will do kind of a half rapid fire. Some of them I will actually talk about. Okay. I'm sorry for how long this will take. I need to do it so they give me a press pass next year. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, okay. Well, let's be clear, Tiff, to give us a press pass next year. I would love it. I love you guys so much. I had a great time. Tiff was amazing. Okay, so I watched 25 films. The Okay, none of these I, like, full-on, full-on hated. But The Sun came pretty close. I'm sorry. The Sun That's is so the worst film of Tiff that I saw, directed by Florian Zeller. And here's the sad thing. We as a Clapper cast collective loved the father. So uh, we were hyping up the son a lot. I was looking forward to this. I was like losing my mind trying to get tickets for the son. Luckily, I got to go to the press screening. And I was just sitting there watching the movie with a friend of the podcast, Jonathan Fuji of The Film Drunk. Um, and it was miserable. Hugh Jackman is very good. I don't know if he like deserves an Oscar nomination for it, but he was good. I thought he was one of the best parts of the movie. Vanessa Kirby is really good. Laura Dern is okay. The film is ruined in the titular role, the son. Zen McGrath, literally the worst acting I have seen ever. Like he was serving seventh grade theater class seventh grade drama i was just like literally i was sitting there and i was like how is florian zeller not yelling cut and saying do better like it was the worst like i like i'm not joking carson it was so bad and the people saying he deserves the best actor nomination you would say is fucking delusional you have to be an idiot to think this acting's good. Like, it was so bad. Um, yeah, like, hated so me and Paul it. love it, and we hated give him a nomination it. for the Oh, my afterwards. God. <laughs> the Sun is quite controversial because the ending people found was manipulative and exploitative. I didn't think it was. I thought it was very obvious what was going to happen. And I was like, yeah, shit. Everybody, that was quite obvious. Why are you mad? Also, you probably will know what I'm talking about if you've read The Sun. I'm sure the play is very similar to the film because it's by the same guy. Anyway, uh, next film, After Sun, directed by – who is that directed by? Hold on. Uh, oh, I can't click on this because I didn't save the list. Sorry, Carson, one sec. <laughs> Okay, there we go. Now I can click. Okay. I like how you said The Sun, the play was by the same person. You mean Florian Zeller. He did the play also. That's what I meant. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. The next 
the better film, but still bad, was... Shut up. Text. Okay. The number two. What is this? Like, number 24, I guess? Okay, number 24, After Sun, directed by Charlotte Wells. A lot of people liked this. I understand why people like it. It's boring. It has Paul Mescal in it, that, like, normal people guy. He's great. Um... It's about this father and daughter. He's like a single dad. Uh, They go on like a resort to Turkey. And it's a very interesting film because it's kind of like told in like memories. So it kind of feels like it's just like random like chunks. They don't like flow together super, super well. But there is like a theme of like a father-daughter relationship. And I really understand why people like this and like resonate with it but I don't have like a bad relationship with my dad so I was just bored the entire time (laughs) I'm sorry um maybe you'll like this I didn't uh number 23 is an Indian film called Z Z Guado Z Guado it's like Directed by Nandita Das. I didn't hate this one either. None of these films I hate now. I actually kind of like them, but like some things have to go on the bottom. Uh, This film is about uh, this guy who is basically like the equivalent of an Uber Eats driver. And it's like a commentary on like the gig economy and classism. And I really liked the performances here, but it just becomes like super repetitive. And I think it would have been better as a short film. I'm sorry. Uh, cool to see Indian films at the lineup, though. Next one, Butcher's Crossing. Also okay. Nicolas Cage is in it. Eh, it was just meh. It's about these little buffalo hunters, I don't know, in Wyoming, Colorado, just out in the American Midwest in general, when, like, the buffalo hunt was, like, a huge, huge thing. And basically, Nicolas Cage just goes crazy and kills a bunch of buffalo. Um, They kind of, like, shoehorn this, like, message of conservation in at the end of the film. I don't know. it It was very slow and... I just didn't think it was, like, super well-paced, but it had, like, an interesting concept behind it. It was also filmed on, like, the tribal lands of, like, the Blackfeet Nation, I believe, and they are, like, known for, like, helping the bison population bounce back. And so, like, there's this theme of conservation that is, like, shoehorned into the very end of the film, and I think that could have been better if they had balanced it out a bit more, but it was all right. It was, like all right for a neo-western but it's definitely skippable um that guy from sound of metal is in it and i really like paul ricci oh god the old yeah he had the old guy he is not good in this (laughs) he plays his character super over the top not to say not to you know i liked him him in sound of metal but not great in butcher's crossing okay Next film, Sweet As. I this won a prize at TIFF Awards this morning. Uh it's fine. It's like a coming of age road trip movie, but it's from Australia. It's by an indigenous uh director and all the soundtrack is by indigenous artists. It's just like 
it's just average. It's just basic. There wasn't like a lot to it for me. It's just like, it's one of those movies you're like, oh, once you've seen a road trip coming of age movie, you've seen them all. That's how I felt about it. But I'm happy for the team behind it for winning their award. Next, Aristotle and Dante discover the secrets of the universe. Did you read this book, Carson? I read it 10 years ago. I've never heard of it even. It was like huge on Tumblr back in the day because it's like a little bit gay from what I recall. Um, The director behind this one is a trans director, which is cool. It's about these two little Mexican boys in high school and they become besties and one of them uh, comes out as like gay. The other one struggles with it. It's interesting. Um, A bit sad, a bit predictable. I feel like people who enjoyed the book will like it. I don't know how much it like deviates from the book because again, I haven't read it in like 10 years, but people are very hyped for this one. And it's just like, it was not for me. It didn't resonate with me, but it's your standard queer coming of age story. It was cute. Next, women talking. It's fine, but I didn't like it. I thought it was silly. Hot and take. I didn't, I know. I feel like I'm the only one that didn't like it. Although one of my friends messaged me. He's like, thank you for saying, because I joked that this was more like women talking in circles. And he sent me my own tweet and he was like, thanks for saying this because I would have, but I was scared of getting attacked by the mob. And I was like, yo, I'm a girl, so I can trash talk it as much as I want. Um, It's about, okay, so it's based on like Miriam Toes' novel. And there was a TIFF movie last year that was based on another one of her novels called called All My Puny Sorrows. And I loved that film. So I was really looking forward to women talking. I haven't read the books, but I was hoping since I liked that film, I'd like this one. Wrong-o. It's about these like Mennonite women and their husbands and other like men around their colony, a trigger warning, drug and rape them in their sleep they literally drug them with like animal tranquilizers and then they convince the women that they are getting raped by demons and ghosts but they learn that it's actually the men in their own colony doing it it's not like super graphic you mostly see like the aftermath of what happens to the women at first like you you see like Rooney Mara wake up and there's like blood on her sheets and her legs are bruised There's one graphic scene with, like, a woman spreading, like, blood on the wall. That's as far as it goes. It's mostly them talking, the women in the barn talking about their experiences and whether they should leave the colony and, like, leave their men behind or stay and fight. And it just goes in circles over and over and over again. There's great performances from like Rooney Mara and Jesse Buckley, etc. Claire Foy. And Ben Wishaw has a character played August. His name's August. And I felt they put too much emphasis on this guy. And it was really giving not all men, whatever. Again, one of those films, I understand why other people like this, but it was boring and had nothing new or interesting to say about the patriarchy or rape culture or sexual assault, whatever. People think it's going to win best screenplay, whatever. Sure, I'm happy for you. It's boring. Admit it to yourselves. <laughs> um, I mean, it is women. 
right? So yeah, fuck women. I'm a misogynist. <laughs> Don't take that out of context. This is a joke. To be clear, everyone, <laughs> we love women. Okay, next film, Devotion. It's it's fine. Another fine film. It's Jonathan Majors and Glenn Powell. They're fighter pilots in the Korean War. It's cute. Top Gun Maverick coming out earlier this year hurts it a ton. It's just not super well paced. It's the fighting, the pilot scenes and whatever are fun. There's also a really fun scene segment with like Elizabeth Taylor. But overall, it just really suffered from a lack of like writing. Jonathan Majors and Glenn Powell really carry this film. But eh. next, My Policeman. I really liked it as I was watching it and then reflecting on it more. It's also just an okay film. Painfully British. Like, you know when you're watching a movie and you're like, yeah, this is British? My Policeman's exactly that. Harry Styles is all right. He's getting a lot of hate from Don't Worry Darling. I haven't seen that yet, but I thought he was okay here. I wouldn't give his performance, like, any awards, um, but he was fine. I do think the ensemble cast deserved that TIFF tribute award because the older actors play the younger actors very, very well because it this, the movie switches back and forth between the younger versions of the character and the older versions of the character. It's basically a sad movie about being gay in what the 1940s, 1950s and how it was illegal. There's some queer bashing. It's what you, you're, you know exactly what you're getting into with my policeman. It's very obvious what's going to happen, but a lot of people need movies like this to empathize with the gays unfortunately so i guess it's a necessary film still isn't it carson yikes <laughs> uh which is why it's wrong everyone is attacking queer legend harry styles who wears exactly. dresses on stage and it's and unfair boas? that we're that's yeah, it's unfair that we're judging him queer icon <laughs> simply because of that next one the umbrella men this is from South Africa. It's fun. It's about these like Cape Malay musicians, which are like uh, kind of, I think, an ethnicity in South Africa. And they play some like fire music. Um, and basically the like patriarch of this uh, uh, musician band passes away and the stuff gets left to his son. But then the son who inherits it finds out that his dad was like super, super in debt and they're about to lose their like nightclub where the, all the musicians play. And they stage a bank heist. It's very fun. I, re- I really liked it. Um, it's probably like South African cinema is very interesting in the sense that they really suffer from a lack of budget, It I would say. But this one goes, like, miles with, like, the resources that they have. So I think it's honestly my favorite South African film I've seen. The cast was very fun. Uh, Next uh, is a film from New Zealand called Muru. Uh, This was interesting. It's about these – it's, like, kind of based on true events, kind of not – the director kind of Tate is inspired by all these like different instances of the like white New Zealand police and like crown um, harming the Maori indigenous population. And he kind of like incorporates a bunch of events from different like police riots and stuff against the Maori into this film. And I think it's a genius and very brilliant commentary on 
police brutality and the crown and the relationship to indigenous people and things like that. I really liked it. Uh, next is, yeah, everything now uh, from like uh, the Umbrella Men on are stuff I really liked and would tell people to watch. Next one is Rice Boy Sleeps. I think that won the platform prize this morning. It's a Canadian film by, uh, I believe, I think he's Korean Canadian. It's about this little Korean boy and his mother who are like new immigrants to Canada. And it's basically just about them uh, coping. She's like a single mother. She's trying to raise this little boy in a completely new, on a completely new continent, a completely different culture. It does a really good job of exposing that polite Canadian racism. Like, he has, like, a Korean name. His teachers suggest that they rename him David, things like that. Um, Like, if you're a Canadian and you watch this movie, or if you're, like, a Canadian, like, immigrant of color kid, you know, you're just, this movie is gonna, like, raise things in you that you're like, ah, throwback to senior kindergarten. I remember when that happened to me. (laughs) Um, next is Chevalier. This one is the one with Kelvin Harrison Jr. It's about a French composer named Joseph Boulogne. Uh, he's like a black composer. A lot of his work has been lost to history. He was like apparently huge during like pre-revolution France. Apparently he like used to tutor Marie Antoinette in music. So you see Lucy Boynton plays Marie Antoinette. Uh, Samara Weaving is also here as like a lady of the court. And so is Minnie Driver. All their like female characters uh, work so well with Joseph Ballone's story. I really liked it. Kelvin Harrison Jr. is great. Um, sim- very similar vibes to like Amadeus. Uh, and yeah, it's really cool to see somebody who has largely been lost to history to see their like story come back into the cultural zeitgeist. That was fun. Next, Sam Mendes's Empire of Light. Um, it's one of those love letter to movies, mo- to th- love letters to movies, movies. Uh, Olivia Coleman. She does an Olivia Coleman performance. We love it. Uh, there's a newcomer named Michael Ward, I think his name is. He's fantastic. When the movie is like a love letter to movies, it's at its best. But Sam Mendes like shoehorns some subplots in that I don't work, think work very well that have to do with like racism and mental illness. And I think if he had taken time to dis uh like delve into those subjects more the movie would have been balanced a lot better but like it just was kind of felt like an afterthought those two um but it was a it was a gorgeous film and with a great olivia coleman performance so i still really liked it also roger deakins was there i got to see roger deakins in the flesh i was like oh my god that's fucking roger deakins so i feel like that elevated it a teeny tiny bit Next is The Swimmers. That was the opening night film. This is coming to Netflix soon. Cried like a little bitch all through the second act of this. It's about two Syrian sisters um, during the Syrian civil war. They have to leave their country, obviously. they And you see them like taking a boat across the Aegean Sea, I assume. 
Uh, and it's basically just their journey escaping Syria. And they are, before they left Syria, they are like very like athletic swimmers. And eventually they go to the Olympics. It's one of those very like heartwarming stories. The third act is not as good because it shifts more into like a sports drama. But I thought it was a wonderful story to be told. And yeah, I cried like 17 times during this great solid little film. Uh, oh, we are in the top 10 now. Okay, number 10, Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery. I didn't like it as much as the first Knives Out. Still a great cast. I love Daniel Craig and his southern Kentucky accent. That sounds like Foghorn Leghorn. It's great. Um, where Knives Out 1 is more about old money this is more about like new money. It's very like influencers, politicians, things like that. Uh, I really liked the ensemble cast here. And the thing that I didn't like as much about it is with the first Knives Out, I was really surprised about the outcome. But this one, I like, it was very obvious what the outcome was going to be, but it saves itself and like the journey to get there is not what I expected. Um, number nine is this cute little rom-com called What's Love Got to Do With It? It has Lily James, which is why I watched it. And she is, like, obviously white, but she has, like, grown up in, like, some town in England next to a Pakistani family. And she's, like, best friends with this, with her Pakistani neighbor. And who is a boy, a man now, I guess. And he decides to have an arranged marriage. And Lily James is like a documentary filmmaker. And she decides to like film the process. And it does hit their traditional rom-com beats. And it also hits the traditional, very basic commentary on being brown. Like there's a scene where he talks about how he's going to get randomly selected at the airport, things like that. But I enjoyed it. I love a rom-com and I love brown people. I was a sucker for this. Uh, Cried a lot also. Solid flick. The rom-coms are back. Rom-coms are back, baby. Okay, number eight. Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans, which won People's Choice. I respect that choice. Uh, It's a cute little film. It's good. I didn't love it, but it's good. It's a cheesy again love letter to the movies um it's about the fablemans sammy fableman who's the son he loves making films paul dano is the dad michelle williams is the mom seth rogan is there as their quirky best friend the cute little flick i think people will like it it's the best picture front runner right now so i feel like that means it won't win <laughs> cheers to that okay next the Whale. The Whale is a great film, but it's low in my top 10 because it's depressing. But what did we expect from an Aronofsky film? Brendan Fraser gives a obviously wonderful performance. You've heard everybody else talk about it. I don't know if he's going to win Best Actor, but I want him to win Best Actor, and I certainly won't be mad about it. Was he there uh, at your screening? Like, did you no, physically see the, the man? Screening. I did not get to see Brendan in person. It was so sad. I tried so hard, but it just didn't. The timings did not work. 
because I couldn't get tickets to the my the whale premiere, but I got tickets to the my policeman premiere because I saw Harry Styles. But the fucking here's the thing. Listen, Tiff, I love you guys. Equally strong actors. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Tiff, if you're still listening. But why did you put so many of the cool things at the exact same time? Like, why was my policeman at the exact same time as the whale? I would have picked the whale if I could have gotten tickets to it. But they put the whale in the rat, the Royal Alexandra Theater, which is much smaller than the Princess of Wales Theater. And that was criminal, in my opinion. Because maybe I could have gotten tickets if it was at the POW. Anyway, whale... Brendan Fraser, great. Sadie Sink is great. Hong Chow, very, very, very great. She's not getting enough praise for her performance here. Great flick. I'm sorry Shocking. if you didn't like it. Emotional. <laughs> Fat. <laughs> brutal. Isn't does he say <laughs> brutal? I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. I just know it ends with fat. Yeah. And that's amazing. Okay. Number six, the Palm Door winner, Triangle of Sadness, Ruben Osland. For great, had a fun time. Harris Dickinson, we stan, I stan. Um, it's fun. Woody Harrelson's great in it. There's some very good puke and shitting humor. A fantastic, yeah. <laughs> um, I just don't think it had anything super new or interesting to say about how rich people suck. And I didn't like the third act as much, but it's it's fun. It's a the good Paul's time. That's what I'm here. He's going to love it exactly. Um, number five, we're in the top five. I feel like I've been talking forever. I'm so sorry to our listeners. I'm almost done. Uh, Number five is Creator's Broker, which also screened at Cannes, I think. Song Kang, Song Kang Ho. Uh, Both him and Creator were at my screening. I was so surprised. I didn't realize that this was like the premiere of it that I got tickets to. So when they came out, I was like, my god uh because i freaking loved shoplifters from 2018 that's the only other creative flick i've seen um and obviously everybody jump scared by creator at a film festival <laughs> he jump scared me at the afi screening really? of shoplifters he's I- so cute he was so adorable every time he answered a question he would say it in korean or, or japanese he's japanese right yeah, he would yes. say it in japanese and then he would bow <laughs> every time he finished talking he would just do a little bow and it was the cutest thing ever i'll never forget um, like yeah. 10 30 a.m watching shoplifters and then oh be like oh God. there's a famous director cool i look That's like sick shit. i love that he, anyway him and song are great i really they're just like a dream team i freaking loved broker uh Korea does such a great job of making like terrible people like the sweetest most empathetic people ever uh he's very good at found family also same vibes it's very similar to shoplifters it's about human traffickers. They become a found family. It's fucked in theory, but it's very sweet and pure in execution. I really liked Broker. Recommend for sure. Number Bad it didn't get the Korean international feature submission. Whack. What did? De- decision to leave. I didn't see that one. I missed it. Yeah, I, didn't I can't that. judge, but I, you know. We'll see. Like Maybe Broker's good. <laughs> better. Anyway, I, don't, I don't know. We'll see. Okay. Number four. The Apple TV original, Raymond and Ray, starring Ewan McGregor and Ethan Hawke. This is directed by Rodrigo Garcia. Um, I obviously went to see this because it's fucking Ewan McGregor and Ethan Hawke. Why wouldn't I go and see this, obviously? Um, they play half-brothers. Their estranged father has just passed away. And one of their estranged father's 
requests in his burial plans or that he wants his sons to dig his grave themselves. Like, no fucking backhoe. No having the cemetery people do it. No, my children are digging my own grave with shovels manually. Um, And it's basically just a film of the brothers talking about their family past and issues. And it's very weird and it's very absurdist. It's also very funny. I fucking loved this film. It's one of the... I feel like it's too weird for a lot of people, but... I thought it was stellar. Ewan McGregor and Ethan Hawke play off each other super, super well. Recommend. Number three is this small little film from Finland called Sisu. Fucking rocked my socks off, bitch. The director showed up. He was such a cool dude. His name is Yalmari Hellander. And this film is about this old... Finnish guy. He's literally an old man. Him and his cute little dog. They're like mining for gold in like Finnish Lapland and there's Nazis because it's World War II and he gets into a confrontation with the Nazis and he fucking starts killing the Nazis and the entire movie is him killing Nazis for 90 minutes straight. It's fucking sick. There's not a lot to it. It's literally just this old Norwegian guy. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry, Finn people. It's this old Finnish guy killing Nazis for 90 minutes in the most brutal ways possible. Um, people, Yalmari was at our screening, and afterwards people asked him if he was inspired by, like, Robert Rodriguez and Tarantino, and he got mad at us. So that was funny. But, like, it's similar vibes. I feel like since Yalmari is from Finland, he's probably inspired by, like, European directors I don't know but it, it's it, since we're a western American audience Tarantino vibes that's the best way to describe it there's this one part Carson he's killing a Nazi underwater the old man like he's an old man he fucking slits the Nazi's throat and sucks the air out of the Nazi's throat so he can stay underwater longer and kill more Nazis underwater I, I don't know that. Well, but it was fucking sick. It was literally like, what more can you ask for? It's killing Nazis. I think most normal people revel in killing Nazis. Hey, right. cheers to the death of Nazis, you know? Cheers to that. Uh, n- number two, the menu. I fucking love Ray Fiennes. We all know this is a Ray Fiennes household. I love that man. He's fantastic here. He plays a chef. For these rich, rich, rich ass people and all these rich ass people, there's like about 10 of them come to his very elaborate little tasting menu, fine dining, gourmet, 12 course kind of things. And he starts killing them. It's fun. It's sick. I loved it. I'm not going to say any more than that because I'll ruin it. But it's Ray Fines as a murderer chef. Five stars. And then number one, also five stars. The Banshees of Inisherin. Obviously, we all knew it was going to be the Banshees of Inisherin. We all know how much we liked In Bruges. Obviously, it's going to be a five-star film for Martin McDonough. The In Bruges dream team is back. Martin McDonough, Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson. Fucking incredible. It's so funny. Colin Farrell's comedic timing in this is literally the best thing ever. He has this cute little miniature donkey named Jenny. Brendan Gleeson is great. Uh, the woman who plays Colin Farrell's sister is also very good. Barry, whose name I, the last name I never remember how to pronounce, who I normally don't like. I really liked Corgan. him here. Kiergan. Sure. 
Sure. Our bestie Barry. He's great here. The entire film's good. The landscape is pretty. I fucking love Irish people. They're the best kinds of white people. Five stars. Five stars. There you go. I'm done with Tiff. Do you think Banshees, <laughs> after watching it, could win Best Picture? Or out of everything you saw, would you say Fablemans has the best chance? I feel like the Fablemans has the best chance. Banshees is definitely going to get nominated, but it is very comedy. Like, it's more of a black comedy, but it's yeah. like, I don't know. There's also like a very weird thing that happens that I think will unsettle people. Got it. So. We'll see. I mean, it's also good, and that normally is a sign that you're not winning Best Picture. Exactly. So. Definitely a nomination, though. That's good. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, and to close off this episode, we're going to be starting a new thing where every week we ask a question of the week, and you can go on our Twitter if you want to engage with us and vote for either who had the best answer or share your own if you disagree with all of us, which would be surprising because we clearly are, like, the three smartest people in the world. So, like, naturally, we will have the right answer every week. But if you somehow disagree... Feel free to share your own. This week, we're asking, what is the best horror female performance of the last five years? Paul, who do you have? It's a real struggle for me because um, my heart wants to say Rebecca Hall, but my um, my soul is going to say Lupita Nyong'o in um, Us. Um I still can remember moments of that performance. I think it's so fantastic. It's so layered. It is so difficult to do. Uh, yeah, I think it's it's got to be Lupita and us. Though Rebecca Elena, Hall in the House is so good. Yeah, I mean, I echo uh, Hall is amazing. Alina, who do you have? You guys know that I don't watch very many horror movies. I would pick Lupita in Us as one of my top contenders, but I would probably say Florence Pugh in Midsummer. She carried that film. I didn't particularly enjoy Midsummer, but she freaking killed it. That put her on the map. Uh, and I think she's great in it. Okay, well, you both picked two of my top contenders, which is okay. I'm going to go Jennifer Lawrence and Mother. I think that Ooh. movie is wildly underrated. I think Lawrence is fucking phenomenal in that film. The sheer portrayal of like emotion and trauma and terror and annoyance and anger she has is stunning. So those are our picks. Again, go to our Twitter, um, at Clapper Podcast to vote for who had the best one or share your own answers. I'm sure there'll be some Tony Collette um lovers out there which is valid because she's very good in that uh let's end this by finding where we can find everyone on social media alina i am at alina falds on twitter letterbox and sometimes instagram paul at price like tag on twitter instagram and letterbox and you can find me on Twitter at BP underscore movie reviews, Letterbox just Carson Tamar. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening and supporting the show. If you want to write us an email, you can email us at clappercast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at clapperpodcast. You can also connect to us there. If you'd like to financially support the show for as little as $1 a month, you can go to our, our Patreon. Uh, we have commentary tracks, we have exclusive movie reviews, a ton of great stuff you can get over there. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week to discuss all things cinema. Goodbye.